welcome to Settling Scores, the musical theater podcast. We're your hosts, Stephanie Dillard. Hey, I'm Lenny West. And I'm Forrest Hutchinson. And we're so glad you've tuned in to hear us bicker and banter about all things Broadway. Today we'll be featuring the musical Nine. But first... Talk to me, baby, won't you talk to me? That song signals it's time for a catch-up convo, where we discuss any shows we've seen recently and any musical theater news we have to share. Lenny, would you like to get us rolling? Sure. So last time uh, we mentioned that the musical Titanic was going to be shown in theaters as part of a Fathom Events, whatever. And being that that composer, uh, Maury Yeston, is also the same composer as today's episode nine, I thought I'd um, give a little review of that. It was fantastic. It was my um, first real exposure to seeing that show. Um, I'd heard a few of the songs here and there, but never done like a really deep dive into it or um, didn't know the script or, you know, how it all worked uh, on stage in the show. But um, it was really impressive. Uh, It was done kind of in a small theater in London somewhere, I believe. Um, And it was not the big grand epic kind of scope that you were thinking it would be. Um, It was really intimate and um, loved the staging. The score is gorgeous, actually. Um, Murray Eston writes amazing, like, sequences. Um, uh, 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 Along with, of course great songs, but just I was impressed with how how his sequences worked. Um, Highly, highly impressed with that. And I think it's a Broadway HD uh, release. Awesome. So it will probably be on that channel at some point in the near future. And if you find it, check it out. I was going to ask that because I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I I hope it I hope it does show up there sometime. It's it's really impressive. All right. Also, Anything else? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> uh, thanks to Forrest. Uh, we, <laughs> um, scanning my CD and, uh, in, of She Loves Me, the 1964 uh, London recording, thought we might give a little review of that once yeah. some, now that we finally got a chance to listen to it. Um, kind of a throwback to last time. Uh, I thought it was really fun. I don't think it supplants any of the other recordings at all. Um, they made a few like little stylistic, musically stylistic changes to the opening, uh, or excuse me, the overture, like holding a few notes out longer, kind of like maybe swooping in on some things that were really interesting. Um, I loved the uh, the actor who played Stephen Kodai. He made some really fun choices in his uh, Grand Knowing You and um, what's his other one? I can't remember. Alona. Alona, right? Alona yeah. of course. <laughs> Sorry, brain spasm there. Um, Rita Moreno was hit or miss as Alona, oh. uh, in my opinion. Uh, she was great on A Trip to the Library. It was so good on A Trip to the Library. Um, but they gave her a different song in place of I Resolve. Really? Yes. I, I didn't do the research, so I can't say maybe Forrest. You know. I read the linear notes, and it talked a lot about, so I'm sure you're about to get into this, but they changed yeah. a lot of the words to fit the London cast. Like, they didn't want to use the word clerk, because, you know... Clark, you know, in right. English. So and anyone um, who says Clark is a jerk. Is a jerk, yeah, that's what I always <laughs> think of too. That's how I, you know, are familiar with the lyric. But um so they edited a lot of lyrics and but for some reason they took out I Resolve, which is a great song, right? Why would you take that out? Yep. And is. gave her a song called Heads I Win. And she really does not sound very good in that song. She what a shame. Not. That's too yeah, bad. It's, it's not a great performance. And, and I didn't like that song. I didn't either. Yeah, so why did you not like it? Um, it just didn't build. It didn't really go anywhere for me. And I was comparing it to I Resolve, and it pr- compared unfavorably for the character. It didn't do as much. I agree. It kind of, I thought, made her a victim of her circumstance. Ah, yeah. Um, 
she was kind of whiny mm-hmm. a little bit about it, which I'm mean, fine. You're in a bad circumstance, whine about it. But it's very stark contrast to I Resolve, where she's mm-hmm. kind of putting her foot down and taking charge I'm of going her life. to make a change. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Uh, it made her weaker, I thought. Didn't love it. Um, but yeah, it was a fun listen. Uh, it won't replace any of the others for me, but it's a nice oddity to have. All right, good. That's good to know. That little addendum to our last show. Excellent. Forrest. Well, let's see. Since we met last, we together, the three of us, along with some other friends, saw Hello, Dolly oh, at so Belmont good. University. Yes. And that was yes, a lot yes, of fun. Yes. Great costumes, great lighting. The choreography. Great performances. Yeah, oh. some really good choreography, mm-hmm. some really good staging, especially in what was uh, put on your Sunday clothes. Yes. Uh, they had some really good staging uh, props to the choreographer and the director of that show. It was excellent. Um, and then what I've been listening to lately, several cast recordings, but the newest one, I think this is the first one I've listened to from this Broadway season, Merrily We Roll Along, put out wow. their cast recording, kind of a surprise um, cast album release. I was so excited. <laughs> Lenny tried to damper my excitement. for them. They, These are like the highlights of my days, weeks, months when they do this kind of stuff. I'll never forget when Six announced like, okay, this Friday we're releasing our it's cast recording. Drop. Like they just throw it out of nowhere. You know, I love when they do that. Other times they say, okay, we're releasing it three months from now, you know, and you build the anticipation, but merely roll along. You're like, we're releasing it tonight at midnight. And I was like, no way. That's exciting. I have very fond memories in college of staying up till midnight to like download a certain CD, you know, for that. But yeah, I've been listening to that cast recording. Great cast recording. We're going to have to do that show on our podcast sometime. Oh, definitely. Because I've really enjoyed the cast recording. I think it's a great cast. I don't know if it's my favorite Merrily yet. I'm giving it some more time, but definitely really strong performances from the three leads and from some of the supporting actors. So. Oh, great. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I, that day it was like, you know, 1045 at night and I'm getting a text from Forrest, which is unusual. We kind of end our text conversations at, you know, a reasonable hour. <laughs> um, it, it said, guys, this is not a drill. It's really <laughs> happening. I'm like, what's going on? I love on? it. It was probably in all caps, too. It, wasn't of it? course it was, with all sorts of emojis and fun things. Uh, but of course, I uh, I replied something snarky. I'm sure, as I yeah. want to do. But, no, uh, I was no, like, I was, didn't believe that. I was Barbara Streisand, and he was raining on my parade. Yes, he I was. was. Oh he was God. like, "Oh, we knew they were going to put out a cast recording. It's not like a big surprise." <laughs> I'm like, so but here it is. <laughs> but I did stay up till midnight. Did you? Wow! So you're better than me. Started listening to it. Yeah, yeah I waited for the morning. That's so fun. That's awesome. All right. Well, all I have, I've got a three sad little mentions for Uh-oh. you. Well, one of them is a little bit humorous, actually. I have a little list of what's closing soon on Broadway. To start, I can get it for you wholesale with frequent settling scores mentioned. Judy Kuhn is closing December 17. So get out there and see it if you haven't. Also closing in December on the 30th is Some Like It Hot at the Schubert Theater. I'm kind of surprised wah, wah, that, about wah. that one. Yeah. No? Okay, not so much. Gotcha. Um, and finally, the musical we're all so sad we missed out on. You guys saw the musical, the unauthorized parody. Uh, it closes on New Year's Day. We didn't see we it. We sure did. I'm sure Saw 2, the musical, will be out there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Saw 3, On the January 2nd. <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. oh. uh, That's great. I hadn't even heard of Saw, the musical. I so. can't say I had either. It was playing off-Broadway at the AMT. A boundary-pushing parody about love and fluidity. <laughs> Probably heavy on the fluids, my guess. <laughs> Captures the events of the first Saw movie. Anyway, it's a funny little tidbit for us to, That's hilarious. to giggle about. And the sound of crackling flames means we've now come to the part of our show where I present a musical theater quiz for Forrest and Lenny. And of course, for you, our listeners at home, to answer with absolutely no prep whatsoever. So, here in Nashville, we're still in the throes of autumn. 
But musical theater songs about the season can be a little bleak. To wit, for one thing time has shown, if you're alone, when autumn comes, you'll be alone all winter long. Paint your wagon. So maybe while you're out picking apples and watching the leaves change color, your fall show tune playlist could be about falling in love. And hopefully, feel free to grin on this one, guys. And hopefully your loved one wasn't gone when autumn came. Oh, that was beautiful, Stephanie. You referenced Painter Wagon, one of my favorites, one of Lenny's favorites to attack me for liking. That's what that look was about. I I I I like Painter Wagon. Let's see how many show tunes you guys can guess about falling in and out of love. So some lyrics for you. What do you get when you fall in love? A guy with a pin to burst your bubble. That's what you get for all your trouble. Forrest. That is I'll Never Fall in Love Again from Promises, Promises. Very, very good. That's right. This is where I land. You are what I've looked for. Now is what is Forrest. That's the bridges of Madison County um, falling into you. Very good. All my life I have been falling into you. Beautiful song. Do I keep falling in love for just a kick of it? Staggering through the thin and thick of it? Hating each old and tired trick of it? Know what I am? I'm good and sick of it. Great, great lyrics. I know that one. Me too. Show. It's a sweet, sweet show. Lenny. Uh, sweet charity. Yes. Where am I going? Uh, where am I going? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where am I going? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> That's good. It's never too late to have a fling, for autumn is just as nice as spring. And it's never too blankety blank blank blank. Boop a doop, boop a doop, boop a doop. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, those are real lyrics there. Seriously? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's never too late to do 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 from not the girlfriend, but the, the boyfriend. boyfriend. What is it, Forrest? What's it called? The boyfriend. Um, it's never too late to fall in love. Fall in love. I didn't. I, yeah. I know that show, but I didn't know that, so I wouldn't know that. I don't you get a point for that one. You no, I don't get <laughs> Half of an imaginary okay, sure. internet podcast yeah. point. The stars are bright above. The earth is aglow. And to add to the show, I think I am falling in love. Oh, man, I thought this was going to be a quick click. Lenny. Um, uh, uh, I'm falling in love with someone from Millie. No. Okay. It's from State Fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, it's yeah, called... Yeah. Um, wait, don't um, tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> not a grand night for singing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Not grand it? hotel. Um, not grand night for singing. It's a grand night for singing. Oh, my You're right. gosh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. embarrassing. That's all right. No, no, no. Okay. Falling. You stumped us with this one. I, yeah, I did. I, did. Yeah. I love it. You Keep guys. going. I know it. So this one, I'm going to fill in with doo-doo-doos because it has <laughs> okay, the okay. name <laughs> of the song in the okay. lyrics. Falling, doo-doo-doo-doo is falling for make-believe. Oh, Lenny, quick. Falling in love with love. Yes. Um, Boys of, from Syracuse. So. Oh, <laughs> I knew it from uh, sorry, Rogers I should have Son, Cinderella, TV oh, okay. movie with Brandy. Yeah, and the boys from Syracuse yeah. is what yeah. But yeah, you're right, right, right. Very sorry, good. Lenny. Sorry, Lenny. I should have interrupted you. Swooped okay. in and took it. <laughs> no, we can share them. Last one. And from the way that I feel when the bell starts to peel, I would swear I was falling. I could swear I was falling. Lenny again. Almost like being in love, Brigadoon. <laughs> Very good, guys. Oh, good nice. one. That was you a great question. You redeemed yourself. That was tricky. You redeemed yourself. I don't like again. lyrics one because I can. Li- I'm like humming in my head like, what show is this? <laughs> that was a good one, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. great quiz. My problem is I usually have to start at the beginning of the song and then sing all the way yes, through that Yes, that's what I'm part. saying. Yeah. I can't just like skip yeah. ahead. Yeah. But anyway, all right. Fun. Now. Bit by bit, 
putting it together. Now it's time to focus on one particular show to go in depth with and discuss, slash debate, slash argue with Amor. I would like to be here. I would like to be there. I would like to be everywhere at once. I know that's a contradiction in terms and it's a problem. Especially when my body's clearing 40 as my mind is nearing 10. Today we're going behind the scenes with a musical nine, with music and lyrics by Maury Esten, as aforementioned, and a book by Arthur, help me with the last name, Coppet? Coppet. Coppet, Coppet, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Forrest is going to start us off with a synopsis, and then we'll move into some background info from Mr. West. So without further ado, Forrest, take it away. Sure. And as I'm sure Lenny will probably tell you, but it's based on the film Eight and a Half by the Italian film director Fellini. I'm not, how, do you, how do you pronounce his first name? Federico? It's Federico. Federico Fellini. Federico uh, famous Fellini. film director, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the plot involves an Italian film director, a womanizing kind of... Uh, He's kind of stuck in arrested development, right? His name is Guido Contini, and it's about the women in his life, at least the way the Broadway production was staged is framed around the women in his life. Um, he is trying to make a new film. He has no plot for his film. He's struggling with his relationship with his wife because he's cheating on her, but he's also in love with actresses. He has a weird relationship with his female producer that's not... Uh, sexual necessary, but just a strange relationship with all the women in his life. And so it's about all those kind of combining. It's about how those relationships affect his art and how at the end, eventually he grows up, allegedly. Right. Supposedly. Was that good? I never, I never actually take notes about the synopsis. I just want to do it off the top of my head and see <laughs> no, if it makes good. sense. You know, It's hard to combine this huge show yeah. into just a few sentences. Yes. You did great. Yeah. Lenny. So, um, it was indeed based on Fellini's film Eight and a Half from 1963. Um, it was conceived, written, composed, all the things by Maury Yeston as a class project uh, for the BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop. Uh, That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. <laughs> I was hoping I would get that out. You did good. Um, he started this project in 1973. He had seen the Fellini film when he was a teenager and... Uh, deeply identified with the character of Guido. He was deeply affected by the piece. And he specifically, uh, in interviews, he said he specifically latched onto the idea of the artist in trouble, which is a really interesting concept, I think. Um, And so, you know, everybody in musical theater knows everybody. We, We network, whatever. We bring on playwright Mario Fratti to begin working on the book in 1977. Uh, Tommy Toon was kind of brought in to uh, direct and kind of field, um, uh, nurture the project. And eventually, uh, down the line, they decided that Mario Fratti's script did not work. They bring in Arthur Coppett in 1981 to write a whole kind of new book, uh, still being, um, with Murray Eston's kind of overall input guiding the whole project. It's his baby so uh, we have workshops and, and whatnot in 1981, which uh, an interesting workshop, as a matter of fact, because at that point they had um, both men and women mm-hmm. in the cast, mm-hmm. um, because Nine famously, I, I think Forrest alluded to a second ago, famously has a cast that consists of all women, with the exception of the character of Guido, uh, adult Guido and young baby Guido. Uh, so the idea of having men and women as part of the cast playing small roles 
is interesting to think about in hindsight after we've seen the mm-hmm. the uh, completed project. But the eight, the film Eight and a Half uh, does also have men and women. So ultimately, all the the male characters were scrapped in favor of the female characters uh, or female performers playing the characters. And I think that works way better. Um, it makes the the piece more interesting, have more more depth and excitement, um, makes it more unique. So. Uh, that occurred. So the Broadway production, directed by Tommy Toon, uh, choreographed by Tommy Walsh, opened May 9th, 1982 at the 46th Street Theater. I think is now the Richard Rogers, maybe? Hmm. Um, famously, the show opened one night before the cutoff date for Tony <laughs> Award nominations uh-huh. that year. Uh, what a uh, Yeah, we'll talk oh. much more about that later. Um, ultimately, it received 12 nominations the next morning, and on Tony night, it won five awards. Uh, the original production ran for 729 performances. The main cast uh, included Raul Julia as Guido, Karen Akers as Louisa, his wife, Lillian Montevecchi as Lillian, uh, the producer of the film he's proposing to make. We have Anita Morris as Carla, his mistress, Shelley Birch as Claudia, his muse, uh, a famous film star. Kathy Moss as Sarah Gina, a prostitute that he meets when he's a child. Uh, Cameron Johan, I believe, as young Guido, young Guido. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name. Is it uh, Tiana, maybe? Elg as so. Guido's mother. I'm not sure so. how to pronounce yeah, it. it sounds, um, sounds like. in, uh, excuse me. In 2003, the Roundabout Theater Company produced a revival on Broadway directed by David Laveau. It opened April 10th, 2003 at the Eugene O'Neill Theater, where it ran for 283 performances, won two Tony Awards, including Best Revival of a Musical, also Best Actress in a Featured Role for Jane Krakowski as Carla. Uh, Additional cast included Antonio Banderas as Guido Cantini, Mary Stuart Masterson uh, as Louisa, Cheetah Rivera as Lillianne. All all three of... uh, Both of those, in addition to Jane Krakowski... uh, Excuse me, the two ladies, Mary Stuart Masterson, Cheetah Rivera, as well as Antonio Banderas, all got Tony nominations for their work. Jane Krakowski winning. Uh, it also had Laura Benanti playing Claudia, Mary Beth Peel as Guido's mother, and then replacements in that run uh, included John Stamos as Guido. Oh my gosh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. Wow. With Eartha Kid. With Eartha Kid, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, I bet it was. Um, Rebecca Luker as Claudia uh, and Marnie Nixon, who you will never have seen, but you will have You've heard, heard her voice before in yeah. My Fair Lady film, dubbing Audrey Hepburn, oh, and then the West Side Story, Story film, dubbing um, Natalie Wood she as was Maria. The ghost singer. Yes, wow. she has finally an appearance uh, as Guido's mother. Um, let's see. 2009, we had a film uh, version of the show that was released, directed by Rob Marshall, who had previously directed the film version of Chicago. Cast included Academy Award winners Daniel Day-Lewis, Marianne Cotillard, Penelope Cruz, Judy Dench, Nicole Kidman, and Sophia Loren. Uh, Academy Award nominee Kate Hudson and Grammy Award-winning singer Fergie of the Black Eyed Peas. (laughs) (sighs) You would think, wouldn't you? Um, But it just didn't. It didn't happen. Uh, They made a ton of changes to the material. A bunch of songs were cut. Characters were cut. Things changed. Um, Maury Yeston wrote three new songs for the film, uh, Cinema Italiano, for a, an invented character um, that does not appear in the show, um, a, a new song for Guido's mother called Garda de Luna, I think, and then 
Um, sorry, my notes just sort of flipped over here, and I don't know where I am. Um, oh, and then a new song, Take It All, for Louisa, that replaced Be On Your Own. The film was nominated for four Academy Awards, and in this reviewer's opinion, was four too many. And it was a critical and commercial failure, but more on that later. Okay. Um, the super brief overture, uh, excuse me, overview. But um, there are really, there's a really interesting article that I found uh, with Murray, article slash interview with Murray Yeston I found on Playbill.com that goes into a lot more de- detail about the creation of it and kind of his opinions on it that I would recommend you take a look at, uh, see if you can find it. And then also on the Broadway Masterworks channel on YouTube, there are several Ooh. small snippets of interviews with Murray Yeston as well that I found really interesting about mm-hmm. the creation uh, of it, about why certain people were cast and how their roles developed. And, the evolution, um, yeah. Yeah, really, really good stuff there. I uh, highly recommend you look it up. Cool. Thank you. Thank you both so much. That's awesome. And now it's time for the curtain call portion of our show. I'll give the guys each questions, all in reference to our feature show of the episode, nine, and we'll cheer or boo-hiss their opinions. You ready, guys? Yep. Ready. First off, how did you all first encounter this show and get to know it? Um, I came across this cast recording, as I did many cast recordings, just in the used CD section of McKay's in Nashville. I just picked it up. I was picking up anything that said Broadway musical on it, and so that was one I picked up. I was very intrigued. I really liked the cover. I was the original Broadway cast, um, and I listened to it, and I loved it. And I just, I felt like I related to the main character. Granted, I was like, 19 or 20. Okay, at this point, I wasn't 40 like he was in there. Okay. I, was having, I feel like I was having my uh, epiphany at the correct time, probably. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, our, we're constantly, you know, growing and such. But I came to know that recording. I loved that recording, listened to it so much, and then expanded to the London, London concert cast, which is one, we didn't mention that one yet, um, but it had Jonathan Price and oh, Elaine awesome. Page. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, wow. They were both in that one for a concert recording of it, and then came to know the 2003 revival with all the stars, Cheetah Rivera and all of them, and I thought that was amazing as well, but um, tended to always go back to the original Broadway cast, but I just love this musical. I think the music is amazing. So. I also had never seen it before preparing for this podcast, uh, but I Lenny had a bootleg that he lent me that I was able to watch of the original. No, Broadway. no, oh, he didn't. I, oh, no, sorry. Did I'm about? sorry. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> if the FBI is listening, no, he didn't. <laughs> Um, someone, it was dropped off of my mailbox in a sketchy brown there bag. Go, um, anyways, <laughs> and then online, there was a sketchy website that I, I accidentally clicked, uh, stumbled <laughs> upon, and saw the whole 2003 revival as well. But <laughs> I don't think there's any recordings of the London concert cast. There's some brief clips of it if you search hard, but yeah. I don't think the whole thing is available, unless you know. Lindy, no, unless I've you have seen clips. Yeah, that's about it. No, of course you don't know anything about it. No, no. of course <laughs> no, just kidding. not. <laughs> no, truly, I, I've But no, so I... so. In seeing it was very interesting preparing for this play. I actually seeing it because you know you picture in your head how it goes in the music. Yeah. I'll be honest, I'm a little disappointed in some of the choices and a little impressed, you know, because I'd always heard about how beautiful the original was directed and how smooth it was and um, what grace that Tommy Toon brought to the whole production. And I did enjoy watching the original, but there were some choices where I was like, hmm, it worked better in my head. Hmm. So, Lenny, what about you? So I was also probably 1920-ish when I first uh, came upon this show as well. Um, 
and I, I remember seeking it out because it was one of those shows that I was supposed to like um, because it's a, you know, best musical winner and because of the kind of legendary original production and all this. Uh, I also picked up the original cast recording uh, as my first listen because it was probably in 99, 2000-ish, so the revival hadn't happened yet. Um, and I gave it several valiant attempts until I thought, maybe this just isn't for me. Um, I don't, I can't really say what it was that didn't grab me other than maybe some of the voices are difficult to listen to on that recording or the mastering of it. Mm -hmm. Something was, it just didn't hit my ear in a good way. Um, I did actually end up seeing the 2003 revival live, um, because I was going to New York anyway, uh, for a weekend to see, the revival of Gypsy with Bernadette Peters, and Jealous. I saw... Yeah. Oh, well, I can talk all day about that one, and we will later at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, I'll go see Nine as well, because the cast, I mean, mm-hmm. they're to die for, you would be crazy to miss that, if not to see Cheetah Rivera, and, you know, one of the possible few opportunities you have yeah. at yeah. her age at that time. Um, and I was riveted to that, in that, uh, seeing that, Revival uh, it was the, the physical production, the cast, the costumes, the, all of it was just stunning. Um, left a real, real uh, impression on me. It was good stuff. Uh, and then, of course, I kind of digested the recording when it came out for years and years and years. Um, the minutia of it all, like I do. And have just recently, preparing for this, uh, listened to the 92 recording. Um, so that's a, a new one that I'm I'm excited to dig into more, but that's kind of how I came to the to the piece. All right, and where do you rank it one to ten for you personally? That's a tricky question. Mm. <laughs> it's complex. <laughs> I uh, six leaning towards seven. Okay. On a good day, um, for me, it's a the, the score is great, genuinely great. I think it maybe works better as a collection of songs rather than an entire an entire evening for me. I don't know. I I'm, can't put my finger on it. It's a matter of the score versus the book versus the adaptation of the source material. Um, it's really frustrating, I find, uh, for me. Because I can't, there's something I don't love about it, but I can't nail it down. Does it not a, seem cohesive or something in your mind? A story? It or? seems cold. Huh. On one hand, but yet totally emotionally involving on the other. It's just that it's contradiction in terms all the way through it for me. It's something just doesn't gel for me personally. Um, I can look at it and appreciate it as a whole. Um, and I th- but, but all this to say, when I saw the production in 2003, I was like riveted yeah. to what was happening on stage. So maybe it's one that requires it to be seen person, yeah. for me rather than just to be listened to. Um, also the source material, uh, the film eight and a half did not cry out to be adapted into a musical. I mean, mm. it's very kind of an absurdist piece. It's a man, uh, having a midlife crisis and that's sort of hard to watch. He's also a complete cruel narcissist doing terrible things to the people in his life. And that's kind of difficult to watch. Um, I don't know, but I appreciate the score. The score I think is genuinely great. Okay. So six leaning towards seven is the sh- short answer. <laughs> six and a half. Six point two five. Mm-hmm. Forrest, I want to know not only your one to ten, I want to know where this ranks on your list of three hundred. Your famous <laughs> list of three hundred. Yeah, I would give this probably an eight and a half, uh, maybe uh, a nine, uh, <laughs> maybe a 
nine. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, probably an eight. Throw an eight. Let's, uh, eight out of ten, I would say. It is actually... So, on the list of 325 whatever musicals, it's number 12 as far as score yeah, that's goes. That's pretty high up that's there. Extremely so, high. it's a pretty yeah. great score. I was thinking about it. I think maybe this was his freshman effort, freshman score on Broadway. Maybe the first score he ever wrote in general, I think. I think that's accurate. And I think we can pretty much say this is probably the best freshman effort of a composer to go to Broadway uh, as far as a score goes. I can't think of someone else who had a better first score. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, He's someone who I've always thought should work with a lyricist, honestly, because I think his music is beautiful. And... Actually, uh, in Nine, I don't hate any of his lyrics. I think some of them are a little cliche, but in other musicals, I find his lyrics to be uh, wanting at times. Mm. But in Nine, actually, I, I don't mind his lyrics. So I'm, I'm sticking with an eight. I agree. When you were talking about the austere quality of it, um, you're correct, I think, in a lot of it, because the characters aren't always fleshed out. I think you're putting your... I, and I'm saying you as in all the audience sure. are putting there, you kind of have to put your interpretation on it a little bit. Um, and the connections aren't always made between the characters. The connections aren't made between this. So it does take, I think, incredible direction and incredible actors to put the show together. Bridge the gaps. And, mm. you know, as you were saying just exactly that, something hit me. I think part of what it is, you're, you're saying that the, the characters are not well fleshed out and all that. I wonder if that's because it's all in Guido's, uh, through Guido's lens. Hmm. Like, mm-hmm. none of the ladies in the, in the show are fully fleshed because we're, we're not seeing them. We are seeing Guido's version of them. Just his point of view. So yeah, that's a great point. So maybe that's part of what keeps it at arm's length for me. That's, maybe. thank you for yeah. saying what you said yeah. for us. They can't be multidimensional as you right. can just exactly. see them in one dimension. His exactly. own. Yeah. That's great. Forrest, what do you think? What is your favorite moment and your least favorite moment in the show? My favorite moment is the almost end is my favorite. Not the end. Okay, the almost end. Okay. Um, it's during Getting Tall, um, he finally has this moment where he connects with his younger self. Because something I did forget to mention in the synopsis is that it's a lot about his childhood, about things that have traumatized him. It's about uh, how he came to know about sex, how he came to have a complicated relation with sex because of the church, because of his yep. mother, because of uh, the societal pressures around him kind of all of that is gives him a very uh, tortured relationship with sex and leads to these complicated relationships with the women in his life also so i didn't mention that in the synopsis um when he finally comes to terms with his younger self during the song getting tall at the very end i think uh, it's a beautiful moment musically there's just this beautiful orchestral moment right after and there's the lyric um that's always meant so much to me uh, the little Guido, young Guido says to adult Guido, he's like, remember, uh, knowing you have no one, if you try to have them all, is, you know, part of getting tall uh, to speak. So that's, uh, that, I've nice thought rhyme. that, yeah. I love that. Um, I've thought about that through my life, you know, even in dating, you know, because dating uh, now with dating apps, there's so many options, you know, and you can be texting multiple people at the same time. You can try, but um, if you're looking for a monogamous relationship, you know, you have to, put that investment into one person. You can't be spreading yourself all around mm-hmm. or you're going to end up with no one. You can't have them all. Yeah. That's right. And so, but if you take time and invest it in one person, you can create a beautiful relationship if that's what you're looking for. So Sweet. <laughs> but so I would probably say that's my favorite moment right there. How about your least favorite moment? Going to my least favorite. Um, I think 
in the original production, I think maybe Lenny will talk. Are you going to mention the very end in your least favorite moment? Am I? Okay, or I, am I, I not? I'll just take a no, glance. No, okay. I'll take a glance and glow at it. Um, it just seems kind of false. Um, listening to it, I created my own ending in my mind where he just he's going to be in pursuit of being a better person and try and repair his relationships. Whereas I think in the original, it shows him like embracing his wife, right? Or her waiting for him. I think the 2003, she's just she standing steps there out on stage, waiting she? for him. Yeah. I think the original, he actually like embraces her, doesn't it? Or maybe him. I don't recall in the original. I believe there's a stage direction in the published script that says Louisa kind of appears. I don't yeah. remember how it's staged exactly in the yeah. original, but so I don't necessarily love that. I don't know if that's earned, but I, it, it's the happy heartwarming ending, but is it what we needed in that moment? Um, another moment I would say maybe grand canal sequence doesn't always gel with me. I like that he's putting, so he's putting his life on stage and his wife's realizing, Oh, he's like literally mocking me. You know, he's putting all this out there for everyone to see his affair and everything. And then maybe be Italian. That song <gasps> It tends it tends to verge into the verge into the vulgar. I did I hated that scene in the film. I can't believe you guys maybe watched that stupid film. Okay. All right, I think Lenny um, has something to say. But I, I liked the music video part of it where they're throwing sand in the air and Fergie's dancing. That's fine. But the fact she was doing like a strip tease in front of these nine year old boys, I'm like, this is uncomfortable. Slightly awkward. But I mean, is that's. That's what happened, right, in the story. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're supposed to experience the uncomfortable and the um, the inappropriateness of that moment or yeah. the coming of age of that moment, right. maybe. Um, so I don't, like, hate it, but those are kind of the problem spots for me. Lenny. So, so uh, I'm going to go with my least favorite moment, and it's the same as his with the very, very end of the show with... Um, let me, let's back up and get us into this. So the, Forrest mentioned the Grand Canal sequence. He has decided for the film that he cannot make. He's just going to he's gonna put his own life on film, essentially. Um, and he, he does end up kind of making a mockery of his relationship with his wife and his relationship with his mistress and his relationships with everybody. He's making a farce out of it all. And Louisa, his wife, says, Oh, no, you didn't. And... They scream at each other in Italian for a little bit, and then she sings this incredible song called Be On Your Own, mm-hmm. uh, which says, I'm leaving you, deal with it, bye. And she, I believe in the original production, stormed out the middle of the theater, no. bombed up that center mm, aisle and awesome. out the door. Um, and then so, and then Guido has this uh, mental breakdown, his roses turn moment, if you will. He puts a gun to his head. Little baby Guido comes out and says, no, 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 you're going to reconcile with your past and getting tall. Uh, uh, uh. And then the moment where the la, 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 and they all sing the part oh, that's afterwards. So creepy. I love that too. I forgot to mention, that's creepy, isn't yeah. it? Because it's like they're, the ghost yeah, is past coming back into it. Yeah. Oh, it's creepy. But. And then Louisa comes back out. He uh, Guido says, okay, I'm going to make it on my own and da, da, da. And then Louisa comes back out signaling that there is hope for this and hope is nice for all of us but he has been and we're just sort of glancing blows on this but he's been incredibly cruel to her from Mm -hmm. the beginning and I don't think uh, it's deserved at all Mm -hmm. for her to uh, have the possibility of coming back into his life or hit for her to allow him to come back give him another chance yeah she's given him chance after chance after chance after chance through this whole thing and and everybody deserves always one more chance but for me, watching you know the movie, the the production in two thousand three, listening to it, it just it feels false. 
Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that narcissistic, that cruel, they maybe need to be on their own for a minute, figure mm-hmm. things out before, you know, eight measures later, his wife <laughs> says, maybe we can do it again. Yeah. So that's absolutely my least favorite moment in the show. Um, I disagree with you on the be Italian stuff though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a. I mean, I mean, yes, they. It's it's the sequence is these little boys from a from a Catholic school uh, run down the beach to find the prostitute who lives there, and she says, "Saragina, tell us about love." <laughs> and so she kind of flirts with the little boys. I don't. I personally don't think it leans into vulgar. I mean, it's a little tiny bit suggestive, but it's um, you know just barely prepubescent boys kind of coming into themselves and uh, the ideas of love and sex and all the things. And um, she's just flirting with them in a playful way, I felt like. Um, specifically, if you look at the original production yes, uh, that, with the tambourine number and all that, yeah. it's it's adorable and can cute. We, can we talk about that, though? Because that yeah. most... If you look up nine, you can see that clip from the Tony Awards. They chose Be Italian. That was their second choice for the Tony <laughs> yeah. Awards. Lenny's laughing because he yeah. knows the story. Because they wanted to do a call from the Vatican yes. with Anita Morris. But they said, that's too inappropriate. So they put the one with the uh, prostitute <laughs> the talking prostitute to the nine-year-olds instead. Much yeah. more appropriate. Well, Clearly. specifically, it was her costume that was inappropriate. Oh, well, it was inappropriate. Allegedly. I mean, yeah, interesting. I'm sure she's wearing a nude bodysuit under it. But it's like a, a it velvet cutout situation. Yeah. Where you well, can see Maybe we can talk about that everything. a little later, but... That call from the Vatican, wow. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Tony number, the, the, they trotted out, uh, the, the actress playing Saragina in the original production with Kathy Moss, Kathy they Moss. trotted her and those four little boys out at every opportunity they could. I've seen like MDA telethon, Jerry Lewis telethons, <laughs> where she's singing on it and all, all sorts of things. There's tons of clips of her doing that. And it's a fantastic number. It's a show-stopping number where she's sitting on a box playing a tambourine on various parts of her body. And it's it Will Rogers stops Follies. the show. Way better. So much better. Although, Tommy Toon directed well, there you both go. shows. Uh, that's so, an interesting tambourine. little bridge there we draw go. there. Yeah. Um, so, all that to say, uh, that's my least favorite. I'm rebutting your Be Italian as, as bad. I'm going to go backwards and tell you now my favorite yeah. mm-hmm. moments, plural, because there are several, mm-hmm. as I am wont to do. Um, the... First favorite is the overture, the beginning of the overture. Yes. The female cast is treated as an orchestra. So they're they're singing this uh, overture with you know various parts, and you got the high sopranos and the lady basses and everything in between. Um singing singing an overture. It's fantastic and it sets up this interesting score that's gonna come, kind of like you've never heard before. <laughs> It's unexpected. Um, so that is maybe my maybe my very favorite moment in the show. Uh, there's a scene, top of Act 2, that leads into the song Unusual Way. It's a very quiet scene between Guido and Claudia, the actress who he's brought in to be in his film. She's kind of his muse. It's a very quiet, very still... Um, moment in the show, kind of a calm before the storm that, uh, before all the bombast happens, uh, I just, it resonates with me. I love it. Um, it lets the muse do her muse thing and inspire the artist. Um, it's a great, great little moment. 
There's also a great little bit of dialogue in uh, Claudia, uh, excuse me, Carla's, the mistress's act two solo, Simple. Um, the dialogue is, uh, again, from Claudia, though, uh, the muse. She tells Guido, um, who, who only sees her as he wants to see her. He, uh, she, she says, no, I need you to actually see me for who I am in, you know, in my own person. Here's, here is me. I am simple. I am unextraordinary. I live an ordinary life. I do mundane things. And it removes her from her pedestal that he's put her on. And it kind of destroys the fantasy that he has of her and makes him again, see her for who she actually is. And that's a much needed moment in that show. And it kind of sets up, um, it's the catalyst for everything that comes after to kind of make Guido start to reconcile all this stuff. So again, interestingly, as I'm saying this, the muse does yet again, help the artist by shattering the illusions. That's Hmm. kind of interesting. Figuring that out. Um, and then I think I have one more here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's, this is another one that I, I, I've heard it. I've, you know, sung it in my car a thousand times, but I actually stopped and listened to it. And, um, it makes me laugh very much. Uh, it's the, um, Song Follies Berger, sung by Lillian, the producer. There's all there's a, this little bit in the middle. There's a patter, kind of a patter counterpoint mm-hmm. melody, sung by a critic who is not a fan of uh, Guido's films, and she kind of reads him for filth through this little patter bit about all the things that are wrong with him and wrong with his movies. They're too pretentious. They're too egotistical. Uh, he's very quote Italian with a capital I. <laughs> uh, all the stereotypes and. It, she just lets him have it, and it makes me just giggle. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> Is that your favorite song? 18 fa- um, because that's my next question. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> uh, and if you're asking me, no, it's not. Okay. Not even close. Um, do you want me to go? Or do you want Forrest? Yes, no, go ahead. Favorite song and least favorite song. So favorite song is really truly any moment where the women are singing together as one unit. Uh, the choral singing, I just think is stunning all the way through here. The 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 actual physical production of the sound, but the the writing of the music, I think it's just terrific. Um, but if you want actual actual songs, uh, I like very much the song "Only with You," just for sheer listenability. It's mm. um, just a lovely little ballad, and it's it's funny because you think it's doing one thing, and then he turns around and starts singing this lovely little ballad to his wife, and then the second verse he sings to his mistress, the third verse he sings to uh, the muse. So he's like singing the same ballad to all of the women, and in the moment it's funny, although you think about it, and then later it becomes very unfunny. Slimy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's cute in that moment because Guido, with all of his narcissism and cruelty, is very charming. So it works for that. Um, reminds me of, close your ears for a minute, Forrest. It reminds me of the song in Pippin <laughs> uh, called With You, where uh, you hear a song and it's a, it's the lovely ballad. But in reality, what's happening on stage is Pippin is sowing his wild oats, let's say. And Guido's kind of doing the same thing here. It's it's a lovely ballad. What a contrast. Yeah. Contrasting over here. Um, I like the song The Bells of St. Sebastian, uh, it's kind of a throwaway song. Maybe it doesn't really do anything too much for the plot, but it's got this gravitas and this weight and uh, huge choral singing again. Um, just for just for that, it's a great, great moment. Um, the Forrest has mentioned the song Getting Tall, sung by, um, I call him Baby Guido, mm-hmm. at the end, sort of reconciling, uh, giving voice to the metaphor of reconciling your past with your present. 
Um, it's a sweet, sweet song. Um, simple, but uh, really deep if you let it be deep and meaningful. Um, I love Be Italian for a good old-fashioned showstopper, but, okay, ultimately my favorite song is the one that you probably would say, Unusual Way. Oh, I love that one, yeah. Um, I, the more I listen to it, the more complex it becomes, yeah. musically, but thematically more more than anything else. It's not, it, on the surface, it feels like a love song. In this, in this interesting way, I love you so much and you've changed my life. But you think about it from a character perspective, and she, he has changed her life in ways that, that are not romantic, that are, uh, but, but she actually never says, I love you in a romantic way. I love you in some other way. You've touched my life uh, and we are connected, but maybe it's not romantic and maybe it will never be. And it's kind of a, uh, from the created to the creator. Mm. Uh, it's just listen to it five times from that perspective. And it becomes very, very complex. Uh, I think, um, so that's, probably my favorite song in the score. And I think uh, for a performer, for an actress, I think that would be a great song. I've done it for auditions to before. Dig into. I, I really love that, love that piece. Song. It's yeah. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. All right. Favorite and least favorite song, Mr. Forrest. Okay. Uh, my favorite song is Unusual Way. I think that's probably oh, the best one in the score. Um, Getting Tall, that was a close second. Getting Tall mm-hmm. actually might be my favorite, but they're both great for different reasons. You know, Unusual yep. Way is just a beautiful melody and right. The message is so, so complex. Haunting. Um, and still very simple lyrics, though, put to a beautiful melody. Getting Tall, I love that climactic kind of... It's not technically an 11 o'clock number because it's the finale, but kind of where the culmination of all those emotions and where the night's been going. But honestly, this show, least favorite song is difficult. Um, <laughs> there's not... This is one of those no skips for me, okay? I'm not skipping a lot of songs on this album. I'm not skipping any. I, I listen to this one straight through. Um, to point out a couple that... Uh, Lenny didn't mention since he was trying to steal all of them. Um, <laughs> oh, he'll mention well, them later. Don't worry. Yeah, the, the Overture, lovely. You did mention that yeah. one. Um, My Husband Makes Movies. I love that song. That is a great little female ballad. I'm going to talk and about that. I don't know. Do you, do you, we may get in this in the recordings. Do you not like Karen Akers? I've heard a lot of people say they don't like Karen Akers. She's the one in the original We'll broadcast. get into it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Because she sings it maybe just a little bit flat, but it almost, I like the way it sits in my ear, but I've heard people say they don't like how she sings it, but we'll talk about it. A Call from the Vatican, how could you not mention that one? That is such a interesting song. It takes a very talented a vocalist to do it, yeah. you know, because she's getting up, I don't know what that note is, high effort. Very high. Um, but also usually doing contortion work. And if, when we talk about Anita Morris doing it in the original, <laughs> in this bodysuit, skin-tight bodysuit, skin-colored bodysuit, we hope it's skin color. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's hard to tell. It's a little grainy. It's yeah, possible. Yeah. But, um, and she's doing all these contortion acts on a little box in the center of the stage. And then talk about Jane Krakowski Ooh, in the revival son. with uh, doing war with a telephone wire <laughs> and a sheet. You know, yes, and it's just, yes. it's very sensual, different ways, but just very entertaining to watch. Incredible. Um, Folly Berger. Yeah, I love the Folly Berger. Um, I love. Oh, no, we'll talk about her later, too, uh, Montevecchi. But um, it's a great number. Be Italian. The Bells of St. Sebastian, right? Uh, Be On Your Own. What a great, like, kind of, like, you did, yeah, you did mention that one earlier. But I kind of like the lyrics in that Mm -hmm. one. Um, Go off and find some restaurant attendant and show her how independent you have grown, you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of cutting him down to size. But um, least favorite song? 
in the original, it was probably the Germans at the spa, just because it yes. seems so superfluous. But they cut that one from the revival, so they cut. They I, I don't know decision. what my least favorite one is. I don't really like simple. It's okay, mm-hmm. and I get. I like that the 2003 had the dialogue in there because it made it feel yeah. more necessary. But in the original, like it's not one that stands out. And then just listening to it, the Grand Canal sequence is kind of dull for me too. But go ahead. did you want to, some rebuttals? Uh, s- mm, some rebuttals, maybe. Um, Call from the Vatican is. Great, but it, I think it's more um, great visually if you're seeing the show. I don't know. It's fine to listen I like to. The music. It, I, it doesn't blow my skirt up, as it were. But yes, seeing the revival, seeing Jane Krakowski come down from, from the, the heavens ceiling, wearing nothing yeah. but a bedsheet <laughs> and then go back up upside down in the bedsheet so after cool. having a sexual experience with a phone cord. Yes, that number is fantastic <laughs> uh, in that regard. But just for listenability, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, Follies Berger is my least favorite in the show, and wow. it, it is the one that I. That's so sad. W- with the exception of the patter, the patter section in the middle of it. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I skip over it. It's unnecessary. I think it doesn't do anything for the plot, and in those little um, interviews with Maury Yeston on the yes, Broadway that's, I'm, I'm going to talk about that. So. Okay, okay you go. No, what do you want to say about it? You the I guess it's more about Lillian Montevecchio. That's than what the, I was going to yeah, talk. Yeah, okay. I was talk about that. They cast her, and they didn't know what to do with her. <laughs> So they kind of created a character and a song and a whole situation around her. And that, to me, says that it has nothing really to do with the show. You can cut that whole section and it doesn't hurt it, it doesn't help it. Now, I I have somewhere here in my notes that I'm sure on stage, uh, you know, she is amazing because she does have all these weird, quirky abilities uh, she was a dancer in the Follies Berger. She's a ballerina. She does this whole thing with a feather boa. And it's fantastic, I'm sure. But um, just for listenability on the recording, I'm I, not necessary for me. Period. Go. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the interview because he does, he mentions yeah, yeah, Lillian Montevecchi. And I love, I got, I'm a little biased, love Lillian Montevecchi. We're getting, next question's favorite, yeah, favorite character, character, right? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, to, segue. No, yeah, it's sorry, a but segue. Go she for is, it. That, besides Guido, I think Guido... It's hard to say he's your favorite because he is such a terrible person, but um, they uh, actors talk about dream roles a lot, and I'm not used to thinking about it that way, but I think that would be a, a character I would like to play. Really? Um, just because bo- both my great-grandparents um, are Italian. We're Italian. Oh. They're passed away oh. now, but they immigrated from Italy. So, so just, cool. I, I just feel a strong connection you know, to kind of... That Italian, even though I don't have any much Italian heritage in my life. I mean, I love spaghetti, but that's about it. So, but so uh, that interview that Lenny's talking about for what is it? Is it Playbill that they did it for? No, Broadway, Broadway Masterworks. Broadway Masterworks. Masterworks. Yep, you're right because they were doing the recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he says they he he was not familiar with Lillian Montevecchi, and um, someone was talking to him about her, and, and he was like, "Oh, is she a good singer?" We're like, what? No. <laughs> No. Not so and and, and Maury's like, oh, so she's a great actor. And they're like, oh, well, oh no. And he's like, oh, oh, she's a great dancer then. That's why she didn't. No, not, not exactly. But um, she came and auditioned, and um, he talks about her wonderful French accent, which she does have, um, just the most unique person in the world. And I, I love her singing voice. And they said it was the role of producer. I mean, I guess originally they probably planned for it to be a man until they, you know, uh, switch roles. Like in the film, it's yeah, a man. Yeah. Um, and Judy Dench is oddly his like costumer slash, <sighs> but it's, it's strange. Yes. But, um, but he said, 
Oh, he heard her sing, which this, okay, this is odd to me. He was testing out their voices because he knew he was going to do them all vocally for the overture. So he wanted to see everyone's voice parts. So when he had Montevecchi sing, um, he said, oh, it was the most beautiful voice I'd ever heard. It was just lovely. And I'm like, okay, that's not, that would probably be my first thought when I heard her sing. Cause she, mm-hmm. it's a very unique voice. I wouldn't say it's lovely, but he was like raving over it. He was like, oh, it reminded me exactly of the Folly Berger. And I don't know anything about the Folly Berger besides what Lillian Montevecchi has told me in the song, but I'm going to say that Lillian Montevecchi's voice makes Ethel Merman's voice sound sweet and warm. By comparison. Yeah. She, she has, I don't know why he, I don't know why he thought that he just thought yeah. she had a lovely voice. So they I'm were like, sleeping. Ooh. Together, okay, <laughs> maybe <laughs> it could have been, but um, so and he says, Oh, I have to write her a song because it was originally a non serial, so he yeah. wrote her a song, and I think it's great. I love it. I love, and then Cheetah Rivera, so favorite people to play the character, Cheetah Rivera, I think, had the more stage presence than anyone else on that no. stage in 2003. I didn't see it in person, but um, I, I just based on the recording, I'm watching, I'm like, That's who sucks me in Cheetah Rivera. I'm like, That's who knows what she's doing on that stage. but Well, that's why Cheetah's a legend, because yeah. you can take something like that, even if you are potentially woefully miscast, which happens to be my opinion, and turn it into a, a moment. Make and, something yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah, and you could not tear your eyes from her in that theater, I will grant you that, but whether she was the best one to play the role or should have been playing the role at all, eh, that's up for debate. And, okay, just a small clip. So they added a, I guess it's a tango. It's not a waltz. Yeah. They added a nice tango for Cheetah Rivera and Antonio Banderas in the mm-hmm. 2003 revival at, in the end of that song. Very fun to watch. Yep. Cheetah Rivera dance at 70 years old. She she's 90 now. I know. Good I know Lord, she's 90. Wow. So, um, yeah. So around in her mid, mid, early to mid 70s, yeah. Um, wow, I had something else to say. About your favorite character? Yeah, about my favorite character. But we might go ahead, Lenny. Lenny. I'll interrupt you if favorite I Favorite character. So my favorite character is Claudia. She is a the she's his muse. Um, he loves her. She loves him in a very unusual way. Um, she is a mystery wrapped in an enigma who demands to finally and ultimately be seen and also forces change on our protagonist. Um, it's a it's it's a really small role. Ultimately, um, she kind of just floats around the stage, kind of being haunting. But um, my favorite person to have played the role is Laura Benanti in the 2003 revival. She uh, was exceptional in this small, little, floaty, ethereal part. She Laura herself or her stage persona is icy and regal, but she had these flashes of like true warmth and and strength. Uh, the way they costumed her, uh, she wore sunglasses a lot of the time, which kind of helped that the mystery of her, which was I thought was a fantastic choice. The, the costume, the demeanor, her voice, uh, um, everything about her was spectacular. And I'm really glad that we're discussing this show uh, with Laura Benanti in one of the productions immediately after we just talked about She, she Loves, loves me. me. Yeah. Because as much as I did not like her in She Loves Me, I loved her three times that much in Nine. This is sort of her, like, redemption arc for me, mm. uh, as you will. Um, she was just, she was stellar. Uh, and she was not nominated for a Tony for that role, and I feel like maybe she should have been. Hey, you know who was nominated and won a Tony for that role? Lillian Montevecchi, okay? She won the Tony uh-huh. for in Nine, for 1982. Uh-huh. He yeah, looks so stupefied right now. I, I, I don't think she I should have. It was crazy. <laughs> that was just a great. Song, yeah, it was, right? that was, yeah, you had to have been there. You had to have been there. In Must have been. Okay. <laughs> and and truthfully, I did say that she probably does have all the her her talents and gifts and her unique set of qualities were probably on full display in that production uh, on stage live. Just the recording just doesn't work for me. 
Um, also, uh, continuing with Claudia, I'm going to shout out to the late, great Rebecca Luker, who I, we've already mentioned replaced mm-hmm. Laura Benanti in that revival and was also stunning. There are, um, there are clips of Rebecca Luker singing Unusual Way uh, on the YouTubes as well. And we talked about Re- Rebecca Luker as well at length last time yeah, on the Barbara Cook's dinner party <laughs> segment of the show. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And I also love, if I can tell you one more favorite character, sure, yeah. um, is Louisa, his long, long, mm. long suffering wife. Um, she, we, Forrest mentioned the two great numbers that she gets. Uh, my husband makes movies in which she kind of defends to a group of reporters, Guido's sociopathic behavior, sort of, uh, while simultaneously having an internal monologue about should she defend this behavior mm-hmm. and kind of telling us how much she's given up to be the wife of a, quote, great artist, narcissist. Um, it's a great moment. And actually, this might be one of my very favorite moments in the show. It's a tiny little moment. Um she, she ends the song, my husband makes movies, and the reporter has a line after that, thank you very much, Mrs. Contini. It's a very simple line, but in each of the three recordings that we've listened to, each reporter has a very different intention with that line, huh. and I think it's fascinating to listen to them and kind of figure it out. Should we put yeah. together some clips? I would love to put together some clips Let's for that. Let's do that. Let's listen. My husband makes movies. Thank you very much, Mrs. Contini. My husband makes movies. Thank you very much, Mrs. Contini. Contini. Okay, wow, that was fascinating. You're right. Yeah, it's just really interesting. Uh, her other, we've talked about her number, Be On Your Own, from very, very late in the show. We've talked about um, kind of the, she's had enough at that moment. Um, and it also, it's just generally a great song all the way through. It's power, it's strength, it's hugely belted. Um, but it has one of my least favorite lyrics in the show in it. I think it's embarrassingly bad. Um, she says, and you'll take with me, you'll take with you all you own from A to Z and all of me. Yeah. It's pretty the, the, and all of right. me is great, but the <laughs> from A to Z is just like, oh, come on. Yes, this was a school project, wasn't it? Uh-huh. It's like glaringly bad in a song that has really good lyrics. Yeah, I'll say the worst lyrics I think come when it is down to Guido and his wife's relationship. Mm-hmm. Some are very cliched. Okay. Wait, wait, if we have a clip of that, we have to have a clip of Lilia Montevecchi, the Tony Award winner. Of course. Let's do it. Singing Polly Berger. Here she is. Le cinéma today's in a crisis. Directors are so existentialist. The movies are not where there are trans prices. If no one sings a love song when they're kissed. I want a musical. Love cannot be love without less singing. A string, a clarinet, 
et saxophone C'est que la jeune femme dit son pari Jeune The finest entertainment she has known What a showing of color, costume, and dancing. Not a moment in life could be more entrancing than an evening you spend a folly bergère. Folly bergère. Not a soul in the world would be in despair when he's glancing at the fabulous stage of folly bergère. Okay, I'm glad we included that. That was awesome. <laughs> Well, what, what would you guys change about the show? For instance, you just finished. You want to you want to tell us what you would change? Sure. Um, I think if I could change something else, it's funny that uh, Lenny said Claudia is one of his favorite mm-hmm. characters. She's actually the one that doesn't connect with me a lot. I think because she comes in in the second act, and I don't see her throughout the film. I feel much more connected to a lot of the other characters, Louisa, especially and Guido. And maybe it's supposed to be that way. Um, maybe I'd have Claudia, Claudia be there. Claudia, 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 Claudia. Claudia. Is she Claudia. Claudia. I need yeah, to phrase my Italian roots, Claudia, right? Claudia. Claudia, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, have her come in the first act and be involved more in that first act. Uh, but maybe it was intentional by the authors to keep it that way. Uh, and I want... The book writer of a musical often gets a lot of the flack. I think I recently read Stephen Sondheim talk about that, how they often take a lot of the bad reps when it comes to reviews and when it comes to changes. But there are some things, I think, in the book that could be changed to make these characters more three-dimensional. Though I liked Lenny's point that maybe there's some of the women are supposed to be two-dimensional. I think more Yeston's original conceit and concept was to focus the the stage show on the women in his life to give the, their perspective out because the film eight and a half does it really it focuses more on him so i would like to change some things in the book uh no major changes though that i'm just gonna put out there what do you think lenny do you have some um i think that the 2003 revival did did the lord's work for all of us by cutting <laughs> germans at the spot sure. that's yeah. the one big thing i would have liked to change because that song correct me if i'm wrong it doesn't do that's just weird. Yeah, there are. Like, it, it says there are Germans at the spa, but there, where are they? I don't see them. <laughs> Did they never need a come back. Change I, was there like an awkward staging I moment don't they had know. to cover for? I mean, I, no, it's like the the second song in the show. It kind of starts off the whole thing. I don't understand. It's bizarre. So if anybody out there in podcast land has any idea yeah. about Germans at the spa, I would be very interested. Throw it to out know. there. Yeah, let us know. Um, and the other thing is, I've already said I would, um, or I've alluded to, I would cut Follies of Berger. It doesn't doesn't do it for me. Um, it gives a, an, an aging performer a great showstopper if it's staged well, but eh, I don't know. And interesting, what you said about wanting more of Claudia in the first act. I don't know that I would because mm-hmm. you have also so much of Carla. Mm-hmm. In the first act, you don't really maybe it's too much need right? to compete with that. Mm-hmm. Let Carla have her moment because then she sort of disappears in act two, where Claudia comes in more. Um, so I don't know. I, I have a feeling it was pretty intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but that's an interesting thing. I'll. I'll I, I just that. I don't always relate to Claudia's character. I don't know what it. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not bring her in the first act. Maybe mm-hmm. it's something different. I don't know. Or maybe I just need to watch it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. Could be. I don't know. 
Well, I'm curious to hear how you guys feel about the 2009 film adaptation. Uh, did you see the did, did you, you see the films? I did. It's been a long time, it? but oh, I did. Geez. Yeah. I watched it for the first time in preparation of this film. I don't know why. I I really watched this whole thing, guys. I don't know why I did. <laughs> I don't like Regret. musicals and movies when they mix. I think I've said that. Oh. Well, in the I, uh, in the th- spirit of being a completist, we need to know all of the things, right? Sure. Okay. I don't think anyone needs to know this thing. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I was I think it was about when Nicole Kidman started singing. I said, "Who who's this movie for? Who wants to watch this movie?" Who's interested in this? Because I don't think it's for Broadway fans. I don't think it's for movie fans. It was just for no one. So I don't want to dog on it because there were some really cool moments. Like I think Be Italian with Fergie, like, and the opening, I was actually really intrigued by it. Just because I love films with a lot of famous people in it. I think that's so (laughs) cool. And so this film had a lot of famous people in yeah. it, and especially it in scenes when they were all together. I thought that was so cool. What is, what's the name of the actress who plays his wife? Um, Marion Cotillard. I loved her. Yes. I loved her acting. She was in The Inception, right? She was. Yes. She's very she's subtle. Her yeah. eyes say I, everything. Yeah. I love her amazing. as an actress. I enjoyed watching her. And they're all good actors, actresses, nothing bad there, but the singing, I'm just like, why would you want to hear this? So, <laughs> singing in quotation marks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lenny, what did you think about the film? Hot mess. <laughs> Hottest of messes. Um, I, I saw it when it came out in 09, and I remember not liking it, but I rewatched it again however many years later this has been, and uh, I liked it even less. Um, I, it was absolutely beautiful to look at. I'll give them that. Uh, art direction and all that was great, but it's a total case of style over substance. Mm. I felt it sort of gutted any of the uh, bigger themes, um, the the hard stuff. It gutted it right out. I feel um, and just made it a a, a pretty music video. Essentially, mm. uh, it was we've said directed by Rob Marshall, who directed Chicago several years prior, which was great. I think you. More or less universally beloved, yeah. Um, but and it but it used the same concept of putting the all the action, all the musical numbers in in their head, the protagonist's yeah. head. And with Roxy, it worked uh, in Chicago. Putting it in Roxy's head, it worked. Seeing it through her eyes, and you would think that seeing it through Guido's eyes should work, but the women have no agency if it's through his through his lens. And their songs kind of don't make sense coming out of their mouth, but through his, it just, it's, it's a, I don't know. The juxtaposition is bad. It it doesn't happen. Um, It just, they got it wrong. Uh, Murray Yeston wrote three new songs that are all failures to various degrees. Really bad. Uh, The best one is called Cinema Italiano. It's sung by Kate Hudson, who's playing a reporter and she's um, saying, oh, Guido Contini is great because he makes things very Italian. And she goes through the song about every Italian thing that you can possibly think of. That's like me trying to be Italian. Me and Kate Hudson. Yeah. (laughs) And as a song, it's fantastic. As a performance, she knocks it out of the park. It has absolutely nothing to do with the show uh, or the movie. It's silly. Um, But as a song, it's great. The rest of them are just, they don't work. Um, I mean, he writes a fine song for Louisa that uh, it's called Take It All that replaced Be On Your Own. And it's a fine song, but it can't compare to be on your own. Maybe for a film, they have to kind of soften and whatever, what works on stage doesn't always work on film. So I I'll give it that. But, um, but be on your own has like guts to it and take it all is way more passive. And it takes, uh, it takes away Louise's agency again in that moment. So it's fine. Um, 
Oh, and let's see, where are we with any other notes on that? Marion Cotillard, yes, was fantastic. I, I will give you that. Um, the less said about Daniel Day-Lewis, the better, who played Guido. <laughs> um, he's a great actor, undeniably yeah. great actor, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work here. Um, Nicole Kidman as Claudia uh, was the one thing that I liked way more the second time around. Interesting. Yeah, I hated her hmm. uh, the first time I saw it. Um, I felt like in one way she was right for the part, but it just didn't work somehow. But... Um, I don't know. She's she is the statuesque goddess muse, mysterious in her own Nicole Kidman persona. It, yeah. Um, so and her acting was actually really kind of stellar. I thought in the little bits that Claudia has, uh, her singing was bad. Um, <laughs> as far as um, she can hold it, she can carry a tune, and she can sell a song as an actor, but. Um, unusual way Claudia's song is this ethereal beautiful soprano moment and you know Nicole Kidman sings in my octave it just it lost something in that translation but it was one of the more successful performances I thought uh the one unequivocal bright spot I think Forrest has already mentioned it was Fergie uh playing Saragina I had no expectations that Fergie of Black Eyed Peas fame had a legit voice, but she knocked uh, Be Italian out of the park. She's playing Saragina, the prostitute who lives on the beach, who gives him a little little flirtation. She's incredible. I would listen to her sing Be Italian over any other recording that I've heard. She is amazing. High praise, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, speaking of bad lyrics uh, in Be Italian... Uh, be Italian, you, you rap scallion. Yeah. Oh, ridiculous! That's pretty and bad. one of the good things that they did in the film was remove that lyric. She never says rap scallion, yeah. so good, good think, for her. I think I need to maybe rewatch it because I was more focused on the visuals of that. There were some incredible, incredible visuals. They had all the ladies with tambourines and sand going everywhere. It was really cool. Cell block like, tango with sand yeah, and chairs. It's, it's <laughs> great. I want to say too, Kate Hudson to me felt the most out of place in this movie, and I, I enjoy her as an actress, but uh, not in this. All in right. her scenes, yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, because she's, she's extremely American. Yeah, that's the char- what the character but is. She is for whatever reason. It's strange. Yeah, it's very odd. I don't love it. Um, I would love to let us hear Fergie sing a little bit of the Let's do it. Sure. Oh, I'm yeah. all for that. Yeah, here she is. you guys it's a great show i love the show so i liked it done yeah <laughs> had you had you listened to the whole thing before yeah this, i have but it's been a, it's it? been a minute yeah did you like it generally i'm sorry i did I no i did yeah, I, I i fall more on your side of the eight maybe more like a seven mm-hmm. i don't think i'm all the way down at a 6.25 <laughs> but 
Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I, there were some strange things, I thought, um, and I really didn't feel like the characters were fleshed out and cohesive, and I think you totally figured that out. It's because they're all from his perspective. They're not three-dimensional. It's, yeah. I, I want a community maybe. theater to do this show, though. I think it's good because a lot of times in our area, we struggle to get men in community theaters. So you just need one man, one boy, and yeah. a bunch of women. Okay. Done. <laughs> I was thinking about that, too. Um, could it be produced at a community theater level? What would the pros and cons and problems be and yeah you've got a thousand women and one guy that's helpful but i think in order to do this at that level you have to have a director who has a really strong clear vision on how to stage this thing because it's not a linear uh narrative it jumps Mm -hmm. all around it's flashback it's flash forward it's big operatic sequences in a canal. You need somebody really creative uh, with a creative. vision for it. It's yeah. not like you know, somebody knocks on the door and enters stage left and does exactly. their scene and then leaves. Yeah, no, it has to be really creatively done. It's tricky done. to stage Are we ready yeah. for the gender-bent version of Nine? Yeah, okay, absolutely. For that? That'd the, be the fun. The woman and then all the men around her. Probably not yeah. at the community <laughs> theater level, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. I thought about that when we were talking about it. Good. Any other final thoughts, guys? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's a real testament to Murray Yeston and the book writer that they actually ended up successfully, by all standards, adapting a piece, a property that should not have been adaptable. Um, Eight and a Half just does not scream to be made into a musical. It's ridiculous. Um, So props to them. And I give them complete, unbelievable credit for the way they wrote the character of Guido. He is, um, I find, completely unlikable, unroot-forable, destructively narcissistic. He treats everybody around him like trash. He's despicable. And yet, we don't hate him. We should, but we don't, somehow. I don't know know how that works. They make him, if not likable, tolerable. Yeah. Yeah. uh, They make him incredibly charming. With Mm -hmm. with, um, the opening, his opening song, his I Want number, I think it's simply just titled Guido's song. song. We haven't talked about that one, have we? Um, It's it's charming. It says, I want to be all of these things. I want to be everything to everybody. And isn't it so sad that I can't be? But I'm going to try. And it's um, you, you laugh through it, but then when you look at the lyrics, you think about it, you're like, wow, this guy is just a jerk. Um, but they, 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 they set it, it up charming. really nicely charming mm-hmm. at the beginning so that you don't hate him uh, halfway in. Um, so that's a final thought. Um, I would like to also... Um, I do this thing, as we've discovered, I fantasy casted in my head oh, that's with fun. people who never got to play the part. We should make that a new segment, um, guys. That's I kind awesome. of always do anyway. <laughs> uh, nobody asks for it, but I give it to them. Um, but I, I've tried to come up with who else I would like to see play these parts, uh, past or present, in the you know Broadway verse as yeah. they were happening. Um, and I, I don't really have... I'm not settled on people that I love, 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 but one of my biggest problems, and we'll talk about this when we get into the recordings, is that I've never heard Guido sung well. Uh, the men they've got to play the part uh, are varying degrees of vocal talent. Um, and I would like to hear it just sung and knocked out of the park. So I would have liked, in 1981, he would have been a little bit young at, the, at that point, but I would have liked to have heard Mandy Patinkin sing the role of Guido. Oh, yeah. um, I am not a Mandy Patinkin fan at all. But um, un- the man has an undeniable voice and an instrument, and he would have been coming off of Evita at that point, kind of the height of his vocal powers. I think he would have been extraordinary uh, uh, singing Guido. I would also, maybe for the 2003 revival, he also would have been a little young. Um, 
but he could still do it now, actually. Uh, Raul Esparza play Guido. Sure. He's, oh, that's good. Yeah. He's, uh, he's big and bombastic and melodramatic, just sort of as a matter of course in his life, it seems like, or his persona anyway. I think it would fit really well in um, Guido's music. And I, for the 2003 revival, I would have also liked to have heard, uh, as much as I loved Mary Stuart Masterson, and I thought she was incredibly underrated in that, uh, hmm. in that role, uh, I would have loved to have heard Judy Kuhn sing it. Uh, sing Louisa. Uh, the, um, she's got that big belt that would have worked really well for Be On Your Own. She's got uh, lovely lyric qualities that would have worked really well for My Husband to Make Movie. My Husband Makes Movies. She's vulnerable, but she's steely underneath. Um, I think she could have been really fantastic in that role. All right. I think that does it for mm-hmm. our final thoughts. <laughs> of our show we like to call Desert Island Discs. Even though, you know, no one actually uses discs. Oh, wait. Except <laughs> Forrest. I almost brought my three nine CDs because I have oh. all three of them on cast recording. You recently almost. shared this picture. I don't know how many it was. It looked like 500 CDs all over your <laughs> living room floor. You were like organizing them. How many do you have? Do you have a count? That's over 400. Oh I don't, I can't God, count anymore. That's amazing. That's time. a major collection there, bud. That's pretty impressive. But anyway, we'll discuss the major recordings of the show and then Lenny and Forrest will each choose one and only one, Lenny, of the available <laughs> cast recordings to listen to for the rest of their hungry, lonely days on a desert island well let's take a minute now we'll discuss the major recordings uh original broadway cast recording 1982 who wants to go i talked so about we, it a lot yeah we discussed the cast yeah. um distinctive qualities i'd say it has really strong orchestrations uh definitely has the 80s feel to it you can tell it was recorded in the 80s um distinctive sounds from all the singers i would say you definitely know who they are they definitely have unique voices not necessarily Choir trained voices or yeah. opera trained voices, these people. And like Lenny said, Raul Julia is not someone who has an amazing voice, though I appreciate his voice. Bro, I don't know how he got through eight performances yeah. a week Strange. for one week, much less for a year. Like his <laughs> vocal yeah. technique or lack thereof Tenacity. gives me the shivers. I, <laughs> I feel bad for that, Kay. That's all, that's all. Oh, that's all you original. had. Yeah, that's all, all right, okay. Lenny, original um, Broadway. Yeah, Raul Julia, not not so much. Um, Karen Akers, let's discuss her. Oh, Karen Akers. Right, right, right. Should we listen to a clip? Here? <sighs> yeah, do her. Uh, my husband makes movies. Yeah. Okay, right. you can see if you think she's yeah. half a tone flat or whatever. Okay. Here she is, Karen. My husband makes movies. To make them, he lives a kind of dream. In which his actions aren't always what they seem He may be on to some unique romantic theme Some men catch fish Some men tie flies Some earn their living baking bread My husband, he goes a little crazy Making movies instead My husband spins fantasies He lives them, then gives them to you all When he was working on the film on ancient Rome He made the slave girls take the gladiators home Some men buy stocks Some men punch clocks Some leap where others fear to tread My husband, as author and director, 
makes up stories in his head. Okay, well, that was that was interesting. I find her super strident and very harsh with this machine gun vibrato. <laughs> her husband. I makes don't movies. love it. Um she just drives me crazy. She went on to have a very successful Cabaret career in cabarets yeah. and clubs and things like that. And she's apparently known as a great interpreter of lyrics. I don't see it. She's a character singer. She, she is. Yeah. Uh, and Murray Eston used her again in Grand Hotel uh, several oh, years later. Gosh. I just, I don't see the appeal. Uh, and even the, her her costume, her look, she's about seven feet tall, and she's got this very severe bob haircut and this very severe black dress as Louisa, his supposedly warm and supportive wife. I, I don't know. And a very severe voice. Yeah, to go with it's, it. she's, it's peculiar. I don't love it. Um, Lillian Montevecchi, we've discussed, uh, not feeling it. Anita Morris as Carla does have a hell of a voice, an instrument. She's got a growl. She says, does. no Love her. There's yeah. nothing to not love about that, about her performance. Um, I, the highlights on the disc for me, uh, on the original are, um, again, the lady, I can't pronounce her name, Tiana Elg as Guido's mother singing the title song. Uh, yes. She's a lovely soprano baby lullaby to the little Guido. Um, Lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, Shelley Birch as Claudia doing Unusual Way. Um, it's not my favorite, but it's really good, really effective. Um, she's a standout. Uh, the MVP, I think, on that disc is Kathy Moss as Saragina doing Be Italian. She just has this, uh, again, singing in my octave or lower, uh, just growling out this showstopper of a song. Um, it's great, totally great. Um, and that's what I have to say about the 82 recording. What do you think about the London concert cast from 1992? Lynn. That's for me? Yeah. Uh, I've only listened to this one and a half times. I, I think I mentioned earlier, I have just kind of uh, become familiar with it. I knew that it existed, but it's not very findable easily. Hmm. So I kind of missed it. Um, what I will say uh, is that there is a chorus and an orchestra of thousands, so it sounds incredible, uh, and, it, and there's an excitement to it just because of the sheer size of it. Uh, did you find that to be yeah. the case at all? Yes. I don't know how many are in the orchestra. I think I, there's I think I 165 people wow. on the cast, so yeah. it's definitely cow. not like a actual production. It was definitely like for the concert, yeah. for the music. Yeah. I actually really like Jonathan Price. He might be my favorite sung Guido. Possibly. Um, okay. Elaine Page. I don't know. Why is Elaine Page so popular? I don't get this Elaine Page <laughs> stuff. Okay. She's, I, she's fine. She's fine. I have never, I, every time I get a recording with her on, I'm like, oh, Elaine Page. Everyone loves Elaine Page. And I'm always disappointed. Maybe I should visit London or something and visit England. See what's, what's up. I'm not the biggest fan either. I mean, uh, she, she has was a fine voice. Original but... Evita. And I prefer other people. She was Grizabella and cats. I prefer others. Um, I, I've, I've actually seen her, Live um, in the 2011 Did you see Revival of Follies. Yeah, that's yeah. Wow. yeah. and I thought, oh wow, I'm going to see Elaine Page. This is How, amazing. And it? she was fine. <gasps> Didn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah, I don't understand it. I am unsurprised. I would um, love to have seen her. Do you know life. who is in this one? Um, Anne Crum. I love her. Yes. I, although I think the only thing I, other thing I know her from is Aspects of Love and Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, but I really did like her performance. 
that's one of the things I uh, have written for, like, down here beyond too. Your she own. is she the great standout of this recording yeah. for me. Um, um, and if you didn't like the original, if you didn't like Lilian, Lilian Montevecchi in the original, you're like, oh, I want to try something new. Too bad. She's also in this recording <laughs> playing it too. And I love her again. Okay, she's just me so banging funny. my head against the wall as I found that out. <laughs> is that what, funny? What did you think They about did that? it in Follies as well. She was on like three different recordings of Follies. Yeah. Somebody really likes her. Uh, I don't or know she's who. cheap. I don't know. Maybe she has a low rate you of You need pay. a French lady? Call Lilian. <laughs> Right, right. What did, what did you guys think about the Broadway cast recording the 2003? Um, I like it. I think Antonio Banderas is more or less mostly unintelligible on this recording, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. Do yeah, that his accent is so thick, but it doesn't yeah. matter because he's a stellar actor and all of those things. He brings it all to the recording. I think he's... Uh, even though you can see, it continues to be a contradiction all the way around with this show. Um, he's an easier listen than Raul Julia or Jonathan Price for me, even though you can't understand him. <laughs> but but it's the whole thing is ultimately unsatisfying. Um, and for his performance as a you know singing actor in this thing, I don't know. I think I thought Mary Stuart Masterson was, as I said, so underrated. She's not a singer singer, but she's an actor who can put over a song and who has a good voice. Um, P.S. Fun fact, do we know who her parents are? Mary Stuart Masterson? No, who? So, you know, she's from 80s films and kind of yeah. the Brat Pack era. Her father is Peter Masterson. Her mother is Carlin Glenn, who were the writer and star of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Neat yeah. little tidbit. Yeah, I'm surprised fact. she hasn't done more musical theater. That's, I, that's... I kind of am, too. She was not known for singing at all. Yeah. And then she got cast in the revival, and we're like, wait, Mary Stuart Masterson? Really? <laughs> and then she knocks us out of the park with it. Or me, anyway. Um, and I, I seem to recall her getting very good notices, um, Tony nomination, all that. And for me... Also, fun fact, sidebar, um, that was 2003. I happened to see all five of the ladies perform live that were nominated for Best Featured Actor in a Tony, or, or Tony for oh. Featured Actor in a Sporting Role, whatever it was. Amazing. Um, it was uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, Cheetah Rivera, Jane Krakowski, uh, uh, Tammy, Tammy Blanchard, Blanchard for Gypsy, Gypsy yep. playing Louise, and... Um, Oh, Ashley somebody or other. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name off the top of my head. She's a dancer that was in the Billy Joel ballet piece, Moving Out. Yeah. Um, and Jane Krakowski, who won the Tony, would not have been my pick by hmm. any means. Just Interesting. Um, just sidebar fun fact. Um, so back to the 2003 recording. Um, Laura Benanti, effortlessly just blowing it out with Claudia. Incredible. Um, oh, she has my single favorite moment, Laura does, of any recording of oh, nine. What? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Drum roll yeah. here. <laughs> and it's one of those minor moments that I'm going to, we're going to play here in a second, and you're going to be like, yes, and. But for <laughs> me, um, it, it just it sends, it, it's got that je ne sais quoi and that sends shivers up and down my spine. It's in the song Only With You, and um, she just says his name. Guido, but the way she does it and her tone and her sensuality of it, it's beautiful. Listen to Let's it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Is this a good moment? You want to play right now? Yes, right, right now. Let's Go. play it. Finding a special person we can love is so rare. How in the world can they be too? Claudia? Okay. 
I don't know. I, I find chills. it remarkable. I've got chills. <laughs> Shut up. Um, I do. I like that. I'm also going to give a shout out to the, on this recording to um, a tiny little role of Deidre Goodwin uh, f- playing the role of Our Lady of the Spa. Uh, we Oh, P.S. We all know Deidre Goodwin from the Chicago film. Uh, he ran into my knife ten times. <laughs> That's her. That's okay. her. Um, she has this little role of the Lady of the Spa. She's kind of... Uh, not really our narrator, but she kind of guides Guido through certain things. She narrates a little bit here and there. She just um, adds some moodiness and some atmosphere that I think is really exciting. Um, uh, Cheetah Rivera, we've talked about, I think is woefully miscast as Lillian. Um, oh, one other thing I hate is that they decided to, for whatever reason, you make everybody use very heavy Italian accents in this revival, which they didn't do in the Jonathan Price uh, concert. They did not do in the original. It's too much. For me, it detracts, and I don't know what the decision was made for, or for the reasoning, um, but it's not great. I don't know. So we'll let all you decide that for yourself. But the most unforgivable thing on this recording... Um, has to be noted is the orchestration in Be On Your Own. So Louisa sings this big dramatic song. She storms off and the orchestra comes in behind her with this like little rinky tinky that sounds like it's, you know, a trumpet or on a toy piano or something. It's terrible. So what I want to do is play a clip here of the 2003 recording with this <laughs> rinky-tinky orchestration, and then play the original orchestration oh, yeah. where Compare Karen Aker's yeah. uh, voice is not as great, but the orchestration does what it's mm. supposed to do. That'll be interesting to hear. Yeah, let's listen. And all of me. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. Uh, one more shout out on this recording is to the little boy who played Baby Guido, William Ulrich. I think he was about 10 years old when he played him. He is magic, I think, on this recording. And um, maybe it's just my memory of seeing him on stage, which he was even more magical. But it's a great child performance, sweet and genuine and unaffected. Uh, it's a lovely performance. Um, so ultimately, my opinion you know, short version of the long answer. Uh, the 2003 recording is very flawed, but very listenable. Any thoughts on the 2003 recording for us? That's interesting. I could go back to young Guido. I really mm. like him on the original Broadway mm. cast. I do not like the one on 2003 as much. Really? Vocally, I'm sure he was a fine young actor, but, but his vocals just aren't the same for me. Um, not as strong. They're just, huh. they don't sound as good. Hmm. Interesting. Um, not as on key as the original one was, I think. 
I agree with you as with Antonio Banderas. I think his performance is vocally strange, though fine. I'm not bothered by it, but still, I prefer uh, Julia in the original, probably. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I think Banderas is just too many strange things with his vocals sometimes for me. Too many odd choices. Um, Jane Krakowski, I wanted to point her out. She is yeah. great. Yep. Uh, Never sounded better. Laura Benanti, yes. Great performance. Overall, I enjoy the 2003 recording. I don't want to give too much away. You know which one I'm going to pick. But, you know. <laughs> right. So that's I where we're headed it. right now. So yes. you might as well go ahead okay, and do I, our transition for us. I am taking the original Broadway cast. Big surprise. I don't know if you can tell that, but um, as, as happens, the one that you listen to first sometimes is not in your always heart. the case, but yeah, it really yeah. did with this one. I listened to it probably 100 times before I ever encountered another recording of it. It's in your soul then. Yeah, and I will say there's just moments of it that just the orchestrations will just move me to tears, particularly in getting tall, particularly in the overture, which is vocals. Yep. It's just the women singing. I don't know if we pointed that out, but there are just moments in there that are incredibly moving to me. And I appreciate the London concert cast recording. Um, I appreciate that that was made and they wanted to emphasize the music and record that. And I love the 2003. I love that there was a revival. I loved uh, the stars that they put in it. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately doesn't, is not as fulfilling to me as the original. So if I'm going to my desert island, all I have is the CD, no CD player, just the, the CD. I'm going to cradle <laughs> it as I die. Right. <laughs> Lenny, favorite. Am, I'm more than happy to let him have that original recording because in this particular case, for me, the one I listened to first was the one that turned me off to the show. That mm, original. Yeah, it yeah. happens sometimes. I, huh? I, I can't do it. I understand. Um, my choice is going to be the 03 revival for Banderas being, in my opinion, to my ear, the strongest in a very weak field of Guido Contini's um, for the fact that they cut Germans at the spa for the mm-hmm. gloriousness that is Laura Benanti for the women's ensemble sounding totally badass, and for little baby William Ulrich as baby Guido. Um, those are the reasons I'm going to take 2003 right now. However, um, if I had discovered the 92 recording prior to like last week Mm -hmm. that might have been my answer actually um i just haven't had enough time to spend with it to really you know absorb it absorb it so much um but oh i didn't i guess i didn't talk so much about it but i have a couple of problems with it um number one is that they added men to the chorus i was shocked it changed it dramatically Um, like if if that was not the case, I might go ahead and pick that recording yeah. right now. Um, some of the tempos are a little frantic. I got a little nervous listening to it. Like the the overture, it's like the, the sopranos are trying to keep up with the orchestra almost. Um, and if Jonathan Price were maybe fifteen percent better, in my opinion, he's a great actor um, and he he can put over a song. But there's some weird vocal stuff and vibrato stuff that kind of turns me off mm-hmm. just in general with him. But if we revisited this question in six months or so, I very likely could give you a different answer. Um, and, be, and and on the strength of, you said it, Anne Crum as Louisa. I was not familiar with her at all. Yeah, I had not right. heard of Aspects of Love. Mm-hmm. But that gal is a powerhouse in this um, recording. Love her. And all the women were generally across the board, very strong uh, in this recording. So right now, 03, but ask me again later. All right. We might just do that on another day. 
But right now, it's time for us to close this segment out and move on to our if-then recommendations, where Lenny and Forrest give their recommendations for follow-up listening. Can you wonder what if? What if? Forrest, tell us, if you like this show, then you might also enjoy... Well, let's pick another uh, more yes to work. Why not Titanic? It's beautiful. The music's operatic. Um, it's not as strong as Nine, probably. Some of the moments in Titanic are beautiful. And right, the sequences in that show, like the mm. opening sequence, yes. uh, the sinking of the ship, there's just some beautiful melodies there. Um, and I'll be honest, I forgot to, I forgot about this question. So Titanic was the first one that jumped to mind. Company? How about Company is kind of one guy you're getting into his psyche. Um, but I may I may have to take a rain check on this one. Let's see, what Lenny. <laughs> Lenny, no um, Lenny, what do you what do you think? Um, well, I have, as per the huge, I've got two answers for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was another Maury Yeston score. Uh, I thought about Titanic specifically for the sequences. You're right. right, the opening, the sinking of the ship, and then there's that gorgeous uh, what, Act One closer, uh, No Moon. I think no it's moon. called. And autumn. Incredible. But ultimately, I'm going to go for another Maury Yeston pick that I've also just kind of been becoming familiar with uh death takes a holiday uh it's from 2011 it's based on a play and a film from the 1930s of the same name um big themes very grand very gothic gorgeous just expansive beautiful music um i've like i said recently discovered it and i'm just loving it digging into it and finding his um the interesting stuff he's doing in that one. But the other one uh, that I'm going to recommend, and it's totally different in form and style and all the things, but the themes are similar. I'm going to recommend Fun Home. And how do Fun Home and Nine um, Nine have anything to do with each other? They are about artists in the throes of a midlife crisis, reconciling events from their childhood to their to their present and how they've shaped the person that they are now uh, and trying to move forward. And they both feature uh, a kid who has an excellent song. I love um, that. Getting tall for nine and ring of keys in front of them. Um, that's a good one. Both excellent shows. I'm I'm glad you put the, a lot of thought into that. I'm sorry I let you go with my answer. <laughs> Makes up that, for four. That was a very thoughtful well, answer. I had a struggle <laughs> finding it, but I'm just looking through yeah, we'll what shows and more. it just sort of hit me. Oh I my gosh, that. it's it, hmm. it's very different, but they they share themes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Battle Royale portion of our show, where Forrest and Lenny take on a musical theater topic of their choosing to discuss and debate and delight us all with their wit and wisdom regarding all things Broadway. For this show, they've chosen to debate the result of the 1982 Tony Award for Best Musical. That year, two musicals stood above the competition, Dreamgirls and Nine. Nine won, as you heard us talk about earlier, but did it deserve to win? Lenny, let's start with you. So it's always the question, isn't it? It's the big commercial hit versus the uh, more artistic show. It's Lacage versus Sunday in the Park with George. It's Phantom versus Into the Woods. It's Passion versus Beauty and the Beast. It's Lion King versus Ragtime. Spoiler. And it's uh, Wicked versus Avenue Q. It's Once versus Newsies. All that, you know, you can go on and on. Dreamgirls was a blockbuster. 
and it had been knocking them dead for about six months already before nine opened, all of five minutes before the Tony nominations were announced, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that, no doubt, helped nine get as many nominations and all that. It, it was fresh in the sure. Tony nominators' minds. Yeah. Ultimately, nine won awards for Best Musical and Best Score. Dreamgirls won the award for Best Book of a Musical. Tommy Toon won for Best Director of Nine. And then, of course, nine one. I think I said best musical. Um, I, you know, we've been discussing nine for the past what hour or so. Hour and yet. a half. <laughs> Sorry, um, I don't have any particular undying love for either one of these shows. I appreciate them. If I were ranking and discussing Dreamgirls, I would probably have it, you know, six leaning seven as well. And of course, with this question, hindsight is twenty twenty. We have the benefit of history on our side, making this argument and all this. Here's what I think I would have done after giving this some considerable thought. I would have probably given Best Musical to Dreamgirls because it sort of revolutionized everything. It changed everything going forward uh, as far as introducing a whole new sound to the Broadway stage, Mm, uh, new technology, a new look, a new kind of feel, a new what was possible. Um... In the spectacle realm of things. Um, I probably would have given Best Director to Michael Bennett for Dreamgirls because he conceived that whole revolutionary thing. A revolutionary show doesn't just happen on its own. Um, I would probably give Nine the award for Best Book because it adapted this thing that should not have been adaptable, I think. Um, And then I would have given Best Score to neither one. Uh, but short version to answer your question, um, Dream Girls gets best musical. Forrest, agree or disagree? I have to disagree with that. We're talking about nine, okay? Why would you always <laughs> say Dream Girls for the Day Award? No, I disagree uh, kind of with the argument as well because, and I, this is actually in Dream Girls' favor, I don't think it was, you know, the the popular show versus the artistically challenging one, because I think dream girls was kind of an artistically challenging show as well. I think dream girls. uh, Yeah. Dream girls is more pop art probably. Whereas nine is I'm using quotations here. High art, probably Mm -hmm. pop versus high art. It's different conversation, but uh, dream girls ran a lot longer, right? About double the run. I think it ran for four years while nine ran for about two years. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say they're both, Similar in that it's style over substance. Yes. Or at least on stage, it was style over substance. But I think Nine has more substance behind its style, I would say. The score is stronger. Um, The core... Oh, I don't know. I'm going to say the core characters are stronger. But there are lots of points I can make for Dreamgirls. I think you're right. Looking back in hindsight, maybe with lots of perspective, maybe Dreamgirls should have won that. But in that year, I think Nine... Um, deserved to win Best Musical. Dreamgirls, looking back on it, because the way it's framed now is you have a self-obsessed womanizer who the musical is focused on, <laughs> and then Dreamgirls, you have uh, this uh, group based on, you know, uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes, right? Um, and it's facing fat phobia, it's facing racism, 
um, sexism in the music industry, and it's taking on all these themes. So I think in retrospect, it does uh, have a lot more challenging themes. I think what Michael Bennett did on stage was very cinematic for yes. Dreamgirls, by all accounts, you know, kind of breaking barriers like that. But for that year, Tommy Toon's staging, what he did with that musical, what the score Moriessen brought on stage and brought to audiences, I definitely think it should have won that year. Though, I think this is, I would love if the Tony Award competitions every year were this close, because normally I think there is a great discrepancy between the shows. This one I think you can make an argument for either one. 100%. And it's kind of the first one, the first you know, best musical race that has that sparked this particular debate. Yes. The high art versus the high whatever. Um, and, and we've been having it for 40 years. Yes, yeah. without the quality of Dreamgirls. Because Dreamgirls, I think, was a really great show. And I don't think we found that out till or maybe I'm assuming myself, but I don't <laughs> think it was appreciated like it was supposed to be until later on, until years later. For me, it was the 2001 concert revival yes. that they put on recording. Because I didn't like yes. the original Broadway cast album of Dreamgirls. Because I didn't it's get so it. truncated. Like, yeah, half I did the not score get is it. missing. Yeah, but <laughs> when I heard that 2001 recording of yep. the concert they did, I was blown away. I was like, yep. this show... Incredible. Why did they cut out so much of the score? To make it fit on make one disc one. and oh. try to make it commercial. That's a travesty. Yeah, it's, it was a little rough. The other thing that's so crazy is that Tommy Toon and Michael Bennett, friends, right? Michael yeah. Bennett kind of mentored Tommy Toon. Yep. And Michael Bennett had even called Tommy Toon in the production. He asked him, he said, <laughs> don't open it. He, I, I threatened, maybe would be the word threatened, <laughs> asked, you know, said, do not open this. And they went ahead and opened it. So it just made yep. so much. It was, those, they were such warring parties between those yep. two factions. So. Very interesting. Um, one other thing to say about that. I, I said a minute ago that I would have given best score to neither one and neither of you yeah, asked. I, Which I one would you have given no, it to? No, I had in my head. So wait, what up. is it? Is, what would you have, was it Joseph and... Uh, Merrily we roll along. Merrily we roll along. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's it's so the, strange because that one kind of gets forgotten. Again, yeah, because it? it was such a flop. Was it also Joseph that was nominated? Yeah, Joseph was okay. the other yeah. major one, yeah. Um, yeah, well, totally would have given Merrily the, the best score on that. Of Joseph and Merrily, what would you have picked? For best score yeah. out of those four, nine. Still. Uh, and Merrily We're All Along is a close second, and the Dreamgirls is third. But those Take are those three are so, those are great scores. Yeah, Joseph it, is okay, but um, oh, Joseph is a is a great score to sit and watch in a theater. I mean, show, it's yeah. not a great score to music direct. I had to pull together and cobble together all sorts of things <laughs> for that show because Did you, you really? don't have a complete. Yeah, no, you listen to the to the score, you listen to the soundtracks, and then you look at the music that you're given, yeah. and it's so incomplete oh. that you end up having it was like on finale writing parts, like listening and then writing. Oh my gosh. It. Yeah, no, it's very complicated to uh, to piece together if you're the music director. But it is no, it's an amazing show. Obviously. Merrily we roll along versus nine. That's the argument yeah. we should have had. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there is no argument. It's merrily we roll along. That's interesting. Me, yeah, hundred percent. Oh, that's a tough one. I love you were just those. in Joseph, so that's, that's true too. I, Joseph, yeah, it's good. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, sadly, our time with you, dear listener, has drawn to a close. Be sure to tune into our next episode, where we'll be reviewing Ragtime, yay! No. which had a dazzling Broadway production with a $10 million budget in 1998 money, which mm-hmm. is a lot more now, including actual fireworks and a working model T, but it's not considered to have been financially successful, all told. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Settling Scores, the musical theater podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, rate, and review us. And most importantly, tell your friends. Until next time, this is Stephanie. I'm Lenny. Forrest. Saying farewell. Farewell. Goodbye.